I have just been so blessed to have just a great tribe. Every meaningful moment I had in Cutco and Vector, it's just been with those people. The mantra across all of Texoma is that we're humble and hungry. We have high standards, and those standards and expectations are shared early and often. They're enforced consistently and fairly. I think for my part, if I do have a really helpful thing to contribute in a lot of those cases, it's helping people laser into what is the outcome of this work that I'm asking them to put forward. It's so easy to just give up on a goal, on yourself when we're frustrated or discouraged or demotivated or just tired, just having a human moment. I think if I'm good at anything, it's helping clarify that vision of here's why it's worth it, here's what's going to come from it, and using that to really get permission to kind of hold them accountable and kick their butt a little bit if needed, but really to do it as a team. It's really going in with both our eyes wide open, locking arms, partnering up, and trying to wreck shop and accomplish some big goals. Brian Carter has one of the most unique roles in the Cutco Vector Marketing Sales Organization. He's the events coordinator for the Texoma Great Plains teams and assistant division manager in the Texoma division. His Highland Park team just won the Silver Cup as the number one district office in Vector, and Brian contributed $350,000 in personal sales. Through wearing different hats throughout the organization, Brian has amplified his impact on both sales reps and managers, leading through both influence and personal example. This is a man with multiple diverse leadership roles who keeps himself humble and hungry as he strives to inspire others to amplify their impact as well. Get ready for a unique and value-filled conversation featuring Brian Carter. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I have a great guest today named Brian Carter. He has been in the Cutco Vector business since 2003, started with John Carpenter in the Dallas, Texas area. Brian has been a district manager since 2005. He's produced over $12.5 million in Cutco sales. He has also influenced many millions more in sales through a very unique role that he has, which we're going to describe for you today. He runs the Highland Park team in the Dallas area. He's also the assistant division manager for the Texoma division, working closely with John Carpenter. And he is also the events coordinator across two divisions in the Southwest region, as well as influencing outside of those divisions as well. In 2021, 
Brian's office team produced about $1.4 million in sales, which was number one in the nation among all district managers. He won the Silver Cup. The events team that he manages produced over $3.8 million in sales, and the Texoma division was over $5 million in sales. All of this happened while Brian sold $350,000 personally. He is also married with two kids. He and his wife, Miriam, have two young children. So I'm really excited to be able to share his story and insights with you today. Brian Carter, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Dan. I am a big podcast consumer and uh, particularly uh, the Changing Lives podcast. So it's a real pleasure to be on. Excellent. I'm glad to hear that. Thank you very much. So let's talk about you, man. Let's go back to 2003 and tell us a little bit about how you got started with Cutco. Yeah. I love when people talk about how people hear about the job, kind of the source that they applied from. And in my case, it was a flyer on the ground. And uh, <laughs> I think that is that auspicious beginning that I, I, I shoot for. And uh, yeah, you know, I, I came in and I was in John Carpenter's office and I just, I didn't really know a thing about sales. I had certainly never done anything like this. God bless my parents. They've always been incredibly supportive. They, I think they raised a few eyebrows at, at the, uh, me being in a sales role, particularly something that uh, you know was a little left field for me, and in, in this case, kitchen knives. But uh, but just the same, they they were supportive, and uh, yeah, I landed in there, and I I was the I hit the towering sum of being the number thirteen rep our first summer, which uh, is always exciting. I, I love asking my team what they think you get for being number thirteen, uh, and the answer is not fired. So that's that's <laughs> but. It was just a great staff, Vanessa Helberg, Chase Now, and Danny Feldman, and just people that really uh, supported me a lot and gave me a lot of encouragement to kind of let me grow into the job. And uh, well, I've been here ever since. Excellent. Well, number 13, nothing prestigious, but uh, <laughs> you were probably identified as having some leadership capability, right? These days, somebody at that, that level probably gets into our leadership academy and the rest is history, as, as, uh, as they say. Tell us about some of the key experiences that you remember from your early career. Yeah, you know, there was from the very beginning, I, I always kind of laugh, and, and I think this is true in, in any any business, but I talked to one person on the phone and then I interviewed with another person and, and then they told me the sales manager was was this person. And I just remember I was excited to have a good job, but I had no idea who I worked for. And I was kind of laughed about that. But the second John Carpenter walked in the room, I immediately knew who my boss was. And you know, just my relationship with John, I think, has defined so much of my time here with Cutcom with Vector. I love the Carpenters. I love John. I love Monica. I, I I love Dee and Stephanie and their kids. They're just great people. And, and just being invited and while we were working hard professionally, but just really feeling so included in the lives of the people who are really managing me and I had a lot of respect for, that was something that has just stayed with me my entire career. I, I think just that, that community that Carpenter is always so good at building is something I've really tried to emulate in so many ways. And I think that really extended to the other people in the office too. For me, about a year into the job, I was uh, an assistant manager at the time. My father had renal cancer and, and he had battled it for a few years and, and ultimately he, uh, he did pass away. But I just, I felt such an outpouring of love and support from Vanessa and Danny and Dustin Marks and just, just these beautiful people that at a time when I really couldn't necessarily contribute at, at the highest level, and even my highest level wasn't quite the mighty peaks it was for some people, I just always felt the support and encouragement of, of just a team of people that genuinely wanted what was best for me. And I just remember that even when there were times as, as someone new into sales, you know, financially, it wasn't always as lucrative as I would like. 
I just always knew this was somewhere I wanted to be. I was so curious about what it was about this opportunity that drew people like that. And I couldn't get enough of it, man. I just wanted more. And, and it's funny because every, I think every step along the way into management, into events and, and anything like that, I think I've continued to feel that. And that has just kept me engaged at a really high level uh, here and, and with what I do. What a great testament to John Carpenter you just gave about his leadership and what he helped create there for you as a new sales rep. I mean, he's obviously one of the great, greatest legends in the history of the company, and you had a chance to work closely with him right from the start. And I'm sure that uh, really it's had an instrumental uh, impact on your, on your whole life, not just your Vector career. And the idea about just being able to do what you're doing and that everybody supported you and you fit in well, I'm reminded of a a conversation I had with Jeremy Reisig, who said, Vector is a place where you can be yourself and you can totally fit in just as you are, right? There's there's a place for everybody here, right? And it's cool that you were able to kind of take things at your pace and deal with your own challenges and just be able to advance at the rate that worked for you while being supported by those people you mentioned, you know, John and Danny Feldman and Vanessa and, and uh, Dustin Marks and others that you mentioned right there. So pretty cool that uh, you had that chance in those early days. Yeah, it really was. And it's just one of those things that it's left such a strong impression to me that I still think about those moments from 16, 17 years ago. I love every year when SLC comes. SLC and the Cutco World, it's our strategic leadership conference. And it's just the big national event. Uh, obviously, you know that. But the big national event for our managers. And my very first SLC uh, as a new manager, not to get too too far ahead, but... I had a chance. I was I was running an okay office. Like it was fine. I was profitable. I wasn't losing money. I was doing okay, but it wasn't as exciting as I wanted it to be. And I'll never forget at the end of just a mixer, it was just kind of the coffee bar was out and, and the last session was about to start. And I'm just getting coffee and I, I kind of bump into a guy and, and we start talking. And uh, I don't know who he was, but I, I knew he had been here a while and he was certainly more successful than me. And I just he just let me pick his brain and he offered so much encouragement and support. And just really, I, I, I've always remembered, he just said, man, you're, you're getting your PhD in business right now. And it's okay that you feel the the pains and the disappointments, but like, you know, and just helping me identify the wins and and just feel seen and just a more positive vision of the future and just kind of almost feeling worthy in that moment. And it wasn't until later I realized it was Dave Durant, who was a region manager at the time. And Dave is a legend in Cutco. And just for a guy that, for anyone who doesn't know our corporate structure, let's just say I was never going to make this guy a dime. There was nothing other than that's just who he was. And that's just part of the community that we have here. And and that's what I try to live up to. And I, I can't tell you how many SLCs I've had that conversation with people about getting their PhD in business. And those seeds were all planted by someone that uh, I know we all have a lot of affection for, particularly these days, that uh, they really spoke positively into my life. And, and I just think of the people of high influence that had a chance to spend that more positive vision for my own future. Man, who doesn't want that? Yeah. Amazing that you had that opportunity at your first SLC. Whenever I hear stories like that, I always think about like, what if Dave wasn't there that day? True. What if he never had that conversation with you? He wasn't there. He was somewhere else. You know, something happened that day. He didn't get to that part of the event. Yeah. What impact could that have had in your life? And it's just so powerful that we all do have these stories of the person who was there, who did impact us, who did take the time with us. And that uh, it's great to hear that you pay that, pay that forward by taking that time with so many others as you have throughout your career. How about over the years, Brian, as we look beyond those early days, what were some of the transformational moments for you? 
Yeah. Like I said, if there's anything in Texoma we pride ourselves on, it's just community. And I have just been so blessed to have just a great tribe. And every meaningful, I think, moment I had in Cutco and Vector, it's, it's just been with those people. I'll never forget as a, a newer manager... Yeah, I'd been around a while, but I got a chance to work with just a really, really talented representative. And her name was Grace Cook. And Grace uh, at the time broke our, our national record for just kind of that initial fast start, that sales period. And just getting someone that had the talent and, and had the belief. She just believed in what I was doing and what I was trying to create within our organization and just seeing how I could sort of support and, and help someone at, at just that big a level. And, and it's, it's funny because I always go back to that and it sort of leads to my region manager. I, I know I talked about a different one, Dave, but uh, I remember talking to Lloyd and I was like, man, we've got a few things going right. We've got, I've got Grace, we've got some of these other things. And you know I, I don't even know what to do at this point. It was the first time I had... Michael Velosen and Matthew Hardy and just these names that mean so much to me. And I just remember Lloyd challenged me and he said, what is it that has kept you here? And I went back to those times with John and that community. And he was like, you know, you gotta, you gotta bring that. He's like, you know, you've been brought up in it. Now it's your, it's your time to create that for other people. And my wife is unbelievable. My wife, Miriam is just wonderful. And she just gets it. Like, I think there's a lot of things she got even before I did. And so I remember telling Lloyd, I was like, John has a nice house. He has all this. We live in this apartment in Euless, Texas with a newborn child. And I'm like, what is there to bring? What is there to, to impress? And but but she immediately got it, and you know, with almost zero involvement for me, just lined it up. And I will never forget the first time in my small apartment in Euless, Texas, forever ago now. But having Grace and Michael and Matthew and Grant Scoggins and Nick Holloway, and I mean, we literally had seven or eight branch managers come out of just that meal. And you know, we we ate spaghetti and we played on the swing set outside with all the children in the apartment complex. And it was just, but it was just goofy. But it's just, it's so burned in my mind so vividly because just that experience and the wisdom of people like Lloyd that that encouraged me to just sort of put myself out there and just share that positive vision that I had for them and I had for the organization. And it's amazing. The more I've done that, the more uh, people have jumped on that train and, and feels like they want to be a part of it. I think we all want to be a part of something a little, a little bigger than maybe what we're capable of doing on our own. Yeah, I love it. That's such a great example of what Vector is all about, I feel like. And that it, uh, I like that it didn't matter like that you weren't living in a big house like John Carpenter. It was the time with you. It was, it was seeing how you interact with Miriam and your, and your kids and just being able to be in your world and in your aura that was what attracted those people. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Tell us some more of the key moments for you, Brian. I'm sure we'll we'll drift a little bit into my current role where I kind of wear a few hats. But I go back to Josh Muller as one of our national sales consultants. And he's a real titan in the business. He and his wife, Amy, of course, have been guests on the podcast. And uh, Josh is, is a good friend of mine. And we coordinate the State Fair of Texas and the Oklahoma State Fair and a few other events together. And I just remember sitting down with him years ago. And at that point, my I was running a successful district office. I still sold a little bit during the fair while I just helped support that larger project. And I just remember Josh, we're sitting in his car and he sat back and he just said, you know, hey man, I, I think you're an incredible manager and I, I suspect you'll do that for a very long time. And he just said, but I, I just hope that if there's ever a time where you decide that that is not where you want to be, I hope you don't feel like your time in our company is done. And then he said, not that I would ever try to pull you away because that's where your passion is. He said, but we're better with you than without you. And I think you could be a coordinator. I think you could be a CSP. I think you could be all these different things. And I just know I'd hate for there to be a version of Cutco that didn't involve you. And 
it was just, it was such a, like I said, it was just that positive vision of my own future. And, and again, it was coming from a place of strength. We were doing fine, but I've had so many of my colleagues that have really pursued opportunities outside of Cutco and Vector. And there's nothing wrong with that. Multiple streams of income, coaching businesses, real estate, all that. And I think that is such a smart thing to do. But that really planted a seed with me about... I can kind of create some of those different streams here within the opportunity that I currently have and and watch how in that Venn diagram, things start to overlap and the work I'm doing with events supports my district office and you know the things I'm doing with personal sales really kind of help with uh, the, the divisional level. And yeah, that's one of those sort of weird little conversations where all these strings started to intertwine. And it's hard for me to think back on how I got here today without kind of going back to that moment, uh, which again, just comes back to the the great individual people. I've, I think I've just been really, really lucky to work with some of the people that I have. Yeah, exactly. The conversation with Josh, again, like this is one of those things that you're, we're, we're all so lucky to have so many amazing people here who are, it seems like there's a lot of people in Vector that just have this ability to just say the right thing in the moment and that sticks with us, that impacts us. And I think every one of us who's been a part of Vector for so long can look back on a number of those different types of conversations that have been had where somebody said the right words that have just made all the difference for us in the future. And so I just want to encourage anybody listening to be aware of those moments where you're that person for someone else and don't miss the opportunity to tell someone how you feel or to tell someone what you think of them or to pick someone up when they need it. Because uh, we all can have such a powerful impact by being the Josh Muller for someone else, right? Being the Dave Durand for someone else. So pretty cool. Well, Brian, you have had such a profound impact on so many sales reps. You referenced Grace Cook, who I know sold 30-some thousand in her fast start. You've also trained a 40K fast starter. You're influencing prominent sales reps in and out of the Southwest region. I think about Chelsea Rodriguez and Matt Foss, and I know Calvin Lopez is somebody you've worked very closely with who's now sold over $2 million personally. And you're impacting people in your office, on the Texoma events team, and beyond that as well, as I've said. I'd like to get into your head and what you feel like are some of the key skills for successful sales reps and and what are the things that you really dig in to help people get really good at. Yeah, absolutely. I think that you know when it comes down to working with our sales reps and even being in the field myself, there's so many parts of our job that are, are simple. They're just not easy. And I think a lot of times we tend to overcomplicate things. Within my own space and within our events team, kind of one of our mantras is we identify best practices, we document them well, and we make them easily accessible. And so that's, that's kind of the mode that we try to operate from. And we've had a lot of success to really demonstrate the good results that'll come from being on program and doing things the right way. And I think that works on every level of our business. And so, you know, we take that same uh, approach with new team members where we'll get a chance to sit down with a Matthew Zweig or Grace Cook and just share evidence, whether it's a stop by in training or whether it's using a, a video to demonstrate a concept, but just providing them social proof that, you know, the things that we're teaching work and man, do the things work. 
I'm blessed, even though I'm in management, I, I still have a great clientele I get a chance to work with. And it's been incredible seeing just the evolution of scripts and institutional knowledge around the country, you know, getting a chance to learn how to handle objections or, or work with clients who already own our products, offering, you know, new uh, expanded product lines, family program, uh, just things that are a little in the weeds within our own business. But I just think getting a chance to help provide evidence of success and and just what is possible I think that's the key thing with our representatives. You know, with with my team, both on the kind of the manager and on the sales rep level, you know, the thing we always try to talk about is is how are we how are we raising the temperature with what we're doing? And and it's something we do very openly. It's just something where we're talking about how can we continue to slowly raise our standards, tracking our numbers, promoting and sharing those averages with each other, and really trying to learn from people who are kind of getting it done. I think for my part, if, if I do have a really helpful thing to contribute in a lot of those cases, it's helping people laser into what is the outcome of this work that I'm asking them to put forth or this work that will be required of them to you know, earn that next opportunity or, or have that level of success or get that big paycheck. And I remember sitting down with Matthew Zweig and I love Matthew. And I, Matthew, he did so well because of who he is and how hard he worked. But, but for my contribution, I just remember sitting down with him and I said, you know, man, you're going to make plenty of money here and you're going to sell knives because you're great and Cutco's great and our customers are great. I said, but, but imagine on your resume being able to say that you accomplished something that less than a tenth of 1% of all people who work with our company, hundreds of thousands of people over the last half century have worked here. You know, imagine being able to say you've accomplished something that that small of a grouping has. What does that do for you in the future? What does that do for your own sense of self? What does that do for your resume? And just having that conversation with Matthew and and it was very eye-opening for him. He received it in such a great way. And that's kind of what got him excited and allowed him to work through the challenges and through the speed bumps. And it really wasn't much different with Grace. You know, she was a student at SMU at the time she sold her 34,000 or faster, which that's a very demanding school. But, you know, being able to just paint a picture of why is it worth it? And it's so easy to just give up on a goal. It's so easy to give up on yourself when we're frustrated or discouraged or demotivated or just just tired, just having a human moment. I think if I'm good at anything, it's it's helping clarify that that vision of here's why it's worth it, here's what's going to come from it, and using that to really get permission to kind of hold them accountable and, and kick their butt a little bit if needed, but but really to do it as a team and and doing it that way, they always understand where I'm coming from. And I've just I found it to be a much better model than in the past where I was either a little more demanding or a little more overly permissive. It's really going in with both our eyes wide open, locking arms, partnering up and trying to wreck shop and accomplish some big goals. Yeah. I love the mental aspect that you've shared there about, you know, beginning with the end in mind and helping people understand why it's worth it and all those things that you sort of dig in with with people and in, in, initially in working with them. You've referenced the importance of scripts and the development of institutional knowledge in Vector. What are some of the key things that you're that you feel like are are super important for a great sales rep in Vector to master? Gosh, I, I think that's such a great question. You know, when you look at Curtis JQs, when you look at Deanna Scortino, when you look at people that have had success at such a high level in the field within our company, there's just certain things that are so consistent across their activities. And for me, I think learning how to answer objections. Objection is not rejection. And, uh, and that's something that mentally and emotionally, I think everyone who's ever been in sales, certainly everyone who's ever sold Cutco, 
they have to be able to get to a point where they can they can face that head on uh, without quite as much fear and anxiety and just be able to sort of deal with that, to offer new perspectives to customers and, and just be able to work their way through it. I think answering objections is key. I think just the confidence that comes from memorizing uh, essential scripts. You know, for a new rep, it's memorizing their clothes where we're first presenting prices to a customer. There's so much confidence that comes when when people can do it. You know, when I first would ask for the order on a homemaker set, I sounded like a truck backing up. It was, you know, just like beep, beep, beep. I, I was like apologizing when I would say the price. And of course, we both know that's not effective. That doesn't reassure a customer in any way. So I think for new representatives getting that, and then I think for people that are a little more experienced in the field, I think for CSPs, for assistant managers, I think it's just always having their eye on kind of what's that next program that they can really lean into. I always take that approach in my own personal sales business every year where I try to take one program that maybe I have a certain level of proficiency, but I certainly haven't mastered in any way. And even, even then, it's funny because once you think you've mastered something, four years later, you are no longer have mastered it. It's, it's already passed you by. And you know, for me, it was family program, which is just a way of sort of working with customers to, to get sets for other properties or for their kids. That's what it was a year or so ago. This last year was business gifts. Business gifts have never been a big part of my own personal sales business. But you know, I sold $55,000 in business gifts this last year. And, and I've just found that by giving myself permission to immerse myself in like one new program singularly, not at the expense of everything else I'm doing, but we all suck at multitasking. And so just giving myself permission, setting some boundaries to where I can really lean into this, I just found it establishes a new, a new baseline of competency. And then that carries on. So by really working on upgrades with the current Cutco owners for a window of time, well, that skill set persists and then it allows me to change my focus to a different one. So that's something I'm a real big believer on. And it's something I encourage and challenge our CSP team, our events team, and, and even our new reps. It doesn't change what they're doing. It just changes what their area of focus in, whether it's objections, memorizing a close, or learning how to sell cookware. Excellent stuff. I want to address a few of the things that you just said there, because there are so much really important things for any sales reps and vector in particular to hear, as well as for managers who are trying to provide guidance for those sales reps. One of those things was the importance of memorization. There are certain parts of what we do that should be memorized word for word because the words are carefully chosen, but more so because of what you said that you have confidence when something is memorized. I remember talking to sales reps and saying, imagine if a singer was on stage singing a song and they're trying to remember the words while they're singing. Have you ever seen someone have that experience with the Star Spangled Banner? You know, like uh, during a game where they're like, all of a sudden you could see they're like struggling for the words. I've seen it happen like maybe five or 10 times where they're struggling to remember the words. And all of the demeanor goes out the window when you don't have the words nailed down completely, right? And so we used to tell people memorize the reference approach. And I can remember my manager telling me, memorize how to ask for references. And you know when I did it? I did it that day. Mm-hmm. And I always wondered, why didn't everybody do it? Like, this is easy. It's only like six lines. It's take you like 15 minutes to memorize. And I crushed getting references when I was brand new. And so this aspect of memorization, it's not, we don't want reps to have like a canned sales approach where everything is memorized, but there are a few key things that should be memorized. And that's an important thing that I wanted to address that you mentioned. You also talked about handling objections. And a lot of times I think new salespeople think that an objection means the customer is just not going to buy. Right. 
And the reality is like objections are normal. In fact, I would argue that objections are a sign of some interest. If somebody had no interest, they're not going to say, oh, I don't know if we can afford it or I'm not sure if I'd use all that, right? The response would be a lot more terse from somebody that's not going to buy at all. And so when somebody is offering an objection, it's a sign that they're at least considering or pondering. And it is a normal part of the sales process. Almost nobody just comes right out and says, sure, I'll take it, right? If we think about ourselves when we go buy stuff, even ourselves, like we probably will hesitate or we'll have a question or we'll throw out some sort of objection. And a good salesperson is able to help take the customer past that moment of hesitation and turn that into confidence for them in saying yes. That's what handling objections is all about. It's not a fight. It's not twisting someone's arm and trying to get them to get something they don't want. It's helping someone feel comfortable saying yes to something that they do want. And when we show people Cutco, Brian, how many people want it? Literally everyone. Literally everyone. everyone. Literally everyone wants it. There's almost no customer you'll ever encounter that if you said, oh, here, I'm going to drop off some Cutco on your front porch. No, 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 thanks. It's okay. I don't, everybody wants it. So handling objections is a critical piece of success for any salesperson. Those are some key things you mentioned right there for sure. And just to expand on that just for a second, when it comes to the objections, I think a lot of people are operating from sort of a negative assumption. Like that's the framework that a lot of sales representatives are operating from. And I know I did for a very long time. This is a pretty extreme example, but I was working with a customer this last week and I was showing them our signature set. It's kind of a mid to high set. And they just said, it's just too much. And in my head, back when I was newer in the business, I would fill in the gaps for them and say, it's too much money for them to afford if that kind of makes sense. But I was operating from this sort of negative assumption uh, that that either they couldn't afford or they didn't want or it wasn't worth it. And now I just approach it differently and it's too much money. And in this case, it was too much money to not have everything they needed. And so, you know, by, by drilling down a little bit, by following my answers that I know, and again, it's like you said, it's not to be canned, but it's to give me a good playing field so that way I know what to say. I'm not stumbling over my words and I can actually hear them. That's what was great. And what we found out was these people barbecued like that. It's a nice set, but it didn't have the pieces they needed. Why would they spend so much money and then it not even accomplish the goals that they had? You know, they're processing meat. They needed boning knives and meat cleavers and all that. So all of a sudden I showed them a bigger option and then that made perfect sense. And they're comfortable saying yes to that. And then on top of that, just by going through the process, they added on three homemaker sets for their kids. And that's a smaller set, but still a, a good size. And so in the past, I would have been fixated on that one option that they rejected and, and sort of applied a negative assumption to that and just moved to something smaller, which likely still would have been a no. But, but now I'm able to approach things with a little more curiosity because I have the confidence, because I'm armed with the skill set to answer the objections. I can hear them. I can see those other opportunities. And gosh, why worry about the $2,400 order they said no to? I got the $6,500 order they were comfortable saying yes to. Wow. Amazing example. That's great. I love hearing it. Brian, who do you look up to as a sales rep? Oh my gosh. I look up to literally everyone on the sales reports that are above me and most of the people who are <laughs> below me. Our events team is... It's... Man, 
I love our tribe. I love our team. TGP, it's Texoma Great Plains. There's so many things I learned from them. Chelsea Rodriguez has the most intense work ethic of anyone I think I've worked with. Josh Muller has the capacity to handle so many different things so incredibly. I just can't even wrap my head around it. Kelly Kinzer, I've never met someone that is more humble and is just has this absolute ability while being humble and being a little bit of an introvert to connect with people on such a high level and speak into just what their needs are and what their abilities are. And it's just an awesome thing to see. Calvin Lopez can build rapport with people quicker than anyone I've ever met. Steven Decker, every customer he's ever sold to immediately walks up and they're like, oh my gosh, we work with Steve-O because he just leaves such a strong impression on people. Curtis JQs is someone that is just a technician in our business. We in the field owe a lot to Curtis JQs because he figures things out and then he is the most excited person to share it. And a lot of people in a lot of businesses, when they feel like they got the answer, they found something new, boy, they, it's my precious. They want to hold on to it. They want to hide it. They, you know, they stick that under a bushel and that's just not Curtis. Like he wants everyone to crush. He still wants to beat you by a dollar, but, but he wants everyone to crush. There's so many more and, and I'll yeah. kick myself for the people I didn't mention, but those are some of the many, many people I look up to. That was great. That was great. I, I love that about Curtis, by the way, that he wants to, he wants to win, but he wants to win while helping everybody else rise as well. And that pushes him to a higher level. And it's a, it's awesome to see. Your role, Brian, nowadays has a very interesting dichotomy in that you're working with both reps and managers, right? As the Highland Park manager, as the coordinator for TGP, you're working with a lot of reps. As the ADVM in Texoma, you're helping John Carpenter work with the managers throughout the division. What are the differences in working with reps versus managers? And how do you how do you feel like you handle this so effectively? Yeah, I always talk about when when it's working with managers, we have to focus short term to get long term. And when it's working with reps, we have to focus long term to get short term. And uh, what I mean by that is with managers, nothing because we're working, we're lucky as managers, we're charged with bringing people into the business. We're very lucky we get a chance to work with people who are impressionable and vulnerable in a lot of ways. And their daily experience is really, really important. And so as a manager, just getting a chance to focus on their their immediate needs, getting a chance to focus on PDIing and making sure they've got a good list of people to reach out to, that they're comfortable on the phone, or even if they're not, at least they're being disciplined about doing the work. It's very much... It's, it's not micromanaging, but it's very much keeping a big vision of your team, but a heavy focus on today, tomorrow, the next day, because that's what secures the big vision. And, and that's that's kind of the thing I find with, with our management staff that's the most important. And even myself as a manager, that I... Sometimes it's easy to get lost in the future or, or next year or my next development class, but not always focused on, yeah, but we just added four people to the team a week ago. Man, how's Kevin doing? Is Kevin doing good? Because we should probably talk to Kevin. So it really is that focus short-term to get long-term. For our CSPs and our sales leaders in the field, I think it's the opposite. I think it's much more of a long-term focus to get the short-term. The last thing that Kelly Kinzer, Carlton Thompson, or Marissa Mayer needs is me to go, hey man, how many people did you call today? These are professionals, man. They're running a million-dollar business. I don't mind holding them accountable. I'm good at it. I don't mind challenging them. But, but ultimately, my job is different with them. My job is much more to support those, those goals and the commitments they've made. So I think for them, it's getting them more focused on a little more long-term and how you know inactivity now is going to add stress to the end of their year when they're going for different goals or how it could limit opportunities to be a part of our key events program or receive an invitation to a state fair. So I think in order to sort of get those short-term activities, it has to be more of a 
long-term focus. And I, I think that's kind of the, the dichotomy there between the two main groups that I work with. But I, I think the most consistent thing, the two most consistent things, number one is just the community. It's just getting a tribe of people together. And I think as managers, it happens somewhat organically because we spend so much time coming up in the business together. But I think with our CSPs and our sales leaders, that's another area that John Carpenter and Nick Matlack have, have provided such leadership on a divisional level. We do insane trips. By the way, we are so spoiled. Oh my gosh, we've been to, they took us to Aspen and we've, we got a cabin in Yosemite and we did, uh, you know, we've been to Belize and all over. And it, But they prioritize those shared experiences with us. And so I think number one is the community, but number two is just the mantra. And, and the mantra across all of Texoma, it's that we're humble and hungry humble and hungry. We are extremely confident in what we're capable of. We know how good we are, but we do not have a monopoly on good ideas. And we, the second that we start closing our eyes, we're assuming we've arrived, we're just going to get left in the dust. And so we're always looking to see who's beating us. Why is it happening? On the manager level, especially, we always tell them, tell people there's a reason you're getting the results you are. All right. There's a reason you're getting the results you are. So it's a little curiosity with no judgment. You don't have to beat yourself up. You don't have to feel shame, but take a step back, look in your business, try to identify why you're getting the results you have and see who your better is and learn from them. So that way you can take that next meaningful step. Great, great stuff right there. That was, uh, that was awesome. Your role is so unique. I, I don't know that there's anybody else doing what you do in the company. Could you see you know, a handful of other district managers being able to emulate the role you have down the road someplace else? By the way, I absolutely can. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think the CSPs need a district manager. Not at all. I'm lucky they allow me to step into that space. But I will just speak to our team. Back in 2014, I was asked to step in as the interim coordinator. And our team for at least a window of time, we just needed a manager. We did. And, and, And that's okay. Like we needed structure. We needed policies. Like, like, I always tell the team, like policies are not limiting. Good policies just keep you from having to solve the same problems over and over again. That's what good policies do. We needed policies. We needed structure. We needed reports. We needed stats. We, we had this vision as a CSP team of being this million-dollar events program. There had only been one team that had ever done it back in the day, and we had this vision of doing that. But we were all operating independently, and, and there, was no, there was no guiding hand. And not guiding hand in the sense of telling people what to do, but of creating systems and structure where we all would have more opportunities. And so we just needed a manager for that period of time. Now, the flip side is we got to a point where they didn't need a manager anymore. And that's where it put positive pressure on me that if I was going to still stay in that world, um, at least for part of the year, I had to get better. And so I kind of challenged them early on about structure and professionalism and policy. And then they kicked my butt about, hey, man, you can't be out here dragging us down. Okay. Like, if you're going <laughs> to do this, you better get on our level. And they were able to, you know, we, we have that very clear line of communication. And so I've worked really hard. And it's a lot of credit to them for the success I've had in my own personal sales business. But, but you know, I, I don't think it's something that's necessarily right for everyone, but it's something I would love. God, I would love to see more space and opportunity uh, within the company because I do think there are times where, where that symbiosis is really powerful. I think it amplifies what I do as a manager and I know I'm able to amplify what they're doing in the field. Yeah, outstanding. Cool to hear. John Carpenter says, by the way, that you're really good at, he, he calls it calling people out the right way. And I'm wondering, uh, what does that look like? How do you create accountability with the people on your team to their commitments? Yeah, absolutely. You know, 
Matt Foss, I'm lucky I get to work with Matt Foss. Matt Foss and uh, is just an amazing guy. And in his phone, uh, I'm saved as Brian Carter with a hammer emoji uh, right next to it. And <laughs> it's with a lot of love and it's from a kind of a particular context. But I just figured out a long time ago that when you shy away from tough conversations, when you don't sort of confront issues head on, when you're unwilling to put yourself in an uncomfortable space for things that that matter or for people you really care about, it just snowballs and it gets away from you. And I've seen it negatively affect the culture of teams. I've seen it kill managers and I've seen it drive people out of the business. And so when it comes to accountability, I think the simplest answer is the right one. And it's just a willingness on my part to have those tough conversations. And I don't, I don't relish it. I don't always enjoy it. But I care so much about our people that I'm willing to do it. And by the way, they they care so much about me. I like to think we've we've modeled that and they're able to do it with each other and even with myself. But for us, we we have high standards and those standards and expectations are shared early and often. They're enforced consistently and fairly. We have people on our team that are multi-million dollar reps. And I've had to go to them and say, we value you, we appreciate you, but because of XYZ, we're not going to be able to, to maintain your, your status on the team. But we want you here. You know, We're better with you than without you. So here's what we would need to see in order to keep your involvement or keep you on our ROR list or things like that. And it's always tough because you're, you're confronting ego and you're confronting people could see it as limiting their opportunities. But I, I just think that that willingness to sort of step in there when we need to is really important. But I also think doing it with enough humility to know that I'm not always going to stick to landing. And I can't remember who first said this about me, but someone described me that, that I was really great in small doses. And I think that's probably pretty accurate. It's not, that's not a backhanded compliment. That's just an insult. But I have strong opinions about everything and I'm willing to sort of power forward as we need to. But I also know I don't always stick the landing. And, and for me, it's been part of my own maturation and growth is, is going to the situations with a little bit of humility and being able to acknowledge in that moment that we could be operating from a place of not having all the information or, or, or maybe uh, there's something we're missing. But no matter how those conversations go, I think the biggest thing is, is always sharing the fact that I don't care how bad things have gone. All we really want out of this interaction is to find a way to get back into communion. That's what we want. We want to find a way to get back together, whether it's getting people on the team or dealing with this issue and moving on from it, facing the consequences together and, uh, and just getting a chance to get there. But, but, but I think the other side, and this is where... I hate it because I think a lot of people miss out on this. The other side of accountability is this, you know, accountable is just being held to account. Well, a lot of the stuff that we can hold people account to is really, really good stuff, really good stuff. And I think people, when they hear accountability, it's, it's inherently about like enforcing the boundaries, which it is, or making sure people are following through with, with their commitments, which it is. But the other side is this, by always acknowledging the commitments we've made to each other and the results that have come, it creates so many opportunities to celebrate and to recognize and to Mm -hmm. just, man, that's what we're best at in Vector. That's part of our DNA. We love it, man. I've got within the event space. It's like the one channel in Cutco. There's no silver cup. We, We get a different trophy. There's no silver cup. So like our first year, we were the top team. We just had one made. And we're like, cool. <laughs> our, one of our little mantras is we throw money at problems. It's like, no worries. We'll throw money at the problem. We just made our own. You know, we didn't try to make it look like the other one. We just did something we thought was cool. And, and you know, part of accountability is, yes, it, it allows people to, to operate from a place of stability where our team knows that we're going to play, we're going to play fair with each other. And so it's somewhere they can build a stable business and be here for the long term. But 
by always accounting for what we're doing and the commitments we've made, I find it creates just as many opportunities to praise and reward and love on people as to correct and admonish and reproach. Such great stuff right there. That was a masterclass in working with people at any level in any business that you just shared in that last few minutes right there about being willing to have uh, tough conversations, putting yourself in an uncomfortable space for things that are important, right? And then the other side of that, which is the celebrating, the recognizing. And I think all of this stuff works when you're humble and hungry, as you were talking about. You also use the word humility. That's a key element to having all this stuff work with people because if somebody's defensive about receiving feedback, then this sort of thing falls apart, right? Trying to create accountability falls apart when everybody wants each other to hold them accountable, when everybody wants each other to help support them, when when somebody has the attitude that, hey, if I'm not on it, I, I love that I have this brother or this sister in the business that will call me out, yeah. right? Like that's that's a great vibe to have among a team that helps accountability work at a much higher level. And when the leader also has enough humility to say, I won't always get it right. I won't always stick the landing, as you said, right? And you know, let me know when, when I'm off base or whatever it might be. Like That's what creates the right environment for accountability on a team. And I think a lot of us operate from this place of assumption. I think a lot of us, we assume people know that they have sort of a permission to speak into our own existence. But, it, but I, think, I think we do that to our own detriment. I've made it very clear to Calvin Lopez. Calvin is one of my most important business partners that when I am not the best version of myself, I want him and I need him to let me know. And I want him to do it appropriately and respectfully and, and, and candidly, ideally, but I want him to let me know. And, and I've had that conversation with Josh Muller and Kelly Kinzer and, and uh, John Carpenter. And I think, I think having a tribe of people that you have empowered to help your own growth and development, whether it's a professional coach or some of your colleagues, I think it's underrated. And I think a lot of us sort of assume people know that, but we haven't really given them just that epic permission to say, look, help keep me in my lane so I can be my best. And that way I can serve you at a higher level. Yeah. Excellent point. Super valuable. Hey, man, how's it going to feel to get that silver cup at uh, your Southwest year end banquet? Dude, man, I'm a 19 year overnight success. I'm excited. <laughs> no, I, I, I am really excited. You know, just having that professional validation, it's always worth the chase. There's been years I've been close, but haven't quite gotten there. And, and it's exciting. And I get excited about my standard of excellence sword. I get excited about my Rolex. These are just, these are totems and they're, they're that physical manifestation of the work and the blood, sweat and tears. And I'm grateful that our company provides it. And uh, I'm excited to get my own. Excellent. Well, as you look into the future, Brian, how do you aspire to change people's lives? I've definitely gotten to a point where I, I feel like I have I've been really blessed to impact a lot of people and I've been able to sort of help people accomplish some great things in the field and with their office. And I think going forward, I, I hope that I can start teaching some of the bigger lessons that have been taught to me over, over the years that have allowed me to operate the way I do. Matthew Kelly, in one of his books, he talks about being consciously unbalanced or, or imbalanced. And that's kind of how I'm able to do things. I've learned how to put some boundaries around different areas of time or areas of my year, areas of my business that's allowed me to thrive without completely compromising those other ones. And I think there's there's some very transferable skills there. I think that getting a chance to continue to watch our company grow up I love watching people like you and people like Earl Kelly and people like Lloyd Reagan that have brought up beautiful, dynamic families 
and lived amazing lives in our company. And I am so lucky for every young, fresh-faced college student that I get a chance to work with and impact. They make me better and they keep me young. But I can't wait for the day my son is in training. And I want to be a part of this continued evolution of our company where this is somewhere that I was excited to be at 24. I'm excited to be at 39. And I can't wait to be here at 64. And that's what I hope to continue seeing uh, with good people like yourself. Excellent. Well, I can echo the words of Josh Muller, Brian, when I say we're better with you. You've had a tremendous impact on so many people in the company. You're doing great work. It's awesome to see you win that silver cup. And, you know, as you said, the 19 year overnight success, you got there to the top of the mountain in that district manager total business category. And it's great to see that. Congratulations. And thanks so much for all the amazing insights you've shared here on the podcast today. This has been really awesome. Thank you so much, Dan. I appreciate all the other speakers who have come and appreciate you for getting this content out to us. Great. Brian Carter, everybody, definitely one of the great leaders in the Cutco Vector organization who is uh, impacting people in so many ways. I just love the dichotomy of Brian's role where he's working with managers in Texoma, but also really working closely with reps through the events team and with his Highland Park team as well. The concept of with managers focusing short-term to get long-term, thinking about what are the key activities that must be driven right now, this week, today, in order for managers to be able to be successful in the business long-term. And with reps, the opposite, focusing long-term to get short-term, beginning with the end in mind, trying to help people understand why they are doing what they're doing and what it is the, what results they want to achieve in the end and uh, how that helps to drive activity and effort in the short term today. The idea of best practices that he shared in developing sales reps, identifying best practices, documenting best practices, making them accessible to everyone. Those were some great ideas on working with sales reps on a sales team. And then, of course, the specific things, right, like understanding how to work with customer objections and memorizing some of the really, truly key scripts that are critical for success. And if you're a CSP, what's the next program you can layer on that can help you grow your business? Brian referenced selling $55,000 in business gifts in 2021 himself. I love the accountability conversation that we had where he talked about the willingness to have tough conversations, to be uncomfortable if something is important Sometimes you have to get past some discomfort to get to it. That requires humility. And it's one of the most important attributes to be able to have those types of conversations from both levels, whether you're the one holding someone accountable or someone is holding you accountable. That was so good as well. I'll wrap up just by saying this. If you're in the Cutco Vector company working here, I've talked to a lot of people over the years and said, look, we're, the company's going to succeed with or without any one individual, but we are better with you here. Those words that were spoken to Brian Carter, I want to echo for anybody who's listening. We are better with you here. We hope that you stay here for the long term and that you find your place here. Vector is a place where you can be yourself and fit in. We hope that you find your place, whether it's in sales or in management or in some combination of both as Brian Carter is doing. And we hope that you enjoyed this episode today with a really unique guest. 
unique leader in our company. Thanks so much, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you got value from today's episode, please share it with others and consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player. Subscribing to the podcast is free and ensures that future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. And to support our podcast sponsors, visit changinglivespodcast.com slash deals. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives.